You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. read the whole of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it talks about Jesus that though he was rich, that for your sakes he became poor. God's a giver. You cannot give God. And if we're going to be blessed the way God wants us to be blessed in life, you have to grab hold of this principle and this grace of giving. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, just as you excel in every other aspect of the Christian life, excel in this grace of giving. As a Christian, you're called to give faithfully. This means being ready to let go of your time or your money at any moment to anything that Jesus places on your heart. Pastor Danny teaches you today how to give and why you should give. God doesn't need your money, but He wants your unquestionable faith. Through giving, you demonstrate that faith. Every time you let hard-earned money go to God's will, you're practicing faithfulness to the Father. You're telling Him that you know that He's got your back. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as he continues his message, Giving When It Doesn't Make Sense. every day. Get this, for Elijah, God provided for the ministry and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord by Elijah. Man, I love this book. I love the stories. There's not just that one. You go to the New Testament. In Luke chapter 21, won't turn to it. A lot of you may know it. It's called the widow who gave her last mite. Jesus is watching people come to the church, the temple, put their offerings in. People were giving great amounts out of their wealth. Then this widow comes by, and she gives all she has, her last mite, it says, two little coins. And Jesus takes the opportunity, turned to his disciples, and you said, you see these people giving? You see this widow? She's given more than all the others because they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. You talk about giving by faith. God loves it. He loves it. When people will respond in faith, even in difficult times, even in desperate situations, because then, then, (laughs) then he's able to do the miraculous. Now, let me flip the coin real quick for a minute. Because the Bible points out that there is an irony. When you look at these stories, you have to conclude, and here's what I put in my notes. Sometimes the best thing one can do in a financial crisis is give. Now, it doesn't make sense to the common logic, but it makes sense from heaven's logic. Now, 
when you flip the coin, here's what you find in the Bible. The irony there is when you don't give, when you don't continue to have a heart of giving and honor the Lord in giving in difficult times. Let me take you back to the Old Testament again. It may be a hard book for those not familiar with the Bible to find, but it's right near the end of the Old Testament. It's just before that last book, last two books, Zechariah and Malachi. So back up to the left of Zechariah to a little two-chapter book right after Zephaniah, and it's the book of the prophet Haggai. When God sends the prophet Haggai to minister, again, difficult days. And the people wrongly concluded that their priorities needed to change because of the difficulties they were facing. Haggai comes and speaks a word to them. Verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You go, where did my money go? What happened? Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build the house. Get your priorities right so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What well, you brought home, and now he takes responsibility for your money disappearing. I blew it away. God, why'd you do that? Because your priorities are wrong. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Your priorities are backwards. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things, all these things will be added unto you as well. Put God first. And they had misplaced their priorities. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth its crops. Now, this little two-chapter book, <laughs> one of the few times that God sends a prophet and the people listen. If you know the book of Haggai, when he gives this word that the priorities were skewed, they go, you're right. We're going to get right with God. We're going to get our priorities back. The kingdom first and our own needs second. They respond, and then when you get to the last chapter, verse 15, look at this. Now give careful thought to you. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. In other words, you got your priorities back. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a vine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, when you got your priorities right. For some of us, you can mark this day down. June 21st, 2020, give careful thought. Is there any, yet any seed left in the barn until now? The vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, from the time you got your priorities right, I will bless you. And that's what God wants to do. The proverb talks about this irony as well. It says, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but he comes to poverty. It's amazing how it works. Now, at this point, I only have a few minutes left, and I know most of you are thankful for that, but you're going to love this slick outline. Here's my last point. 
Here's my last point. You ready? Everything else I can say about giving in the time I have left. Isn't that a slick third point? God wants to bless us. I don't know where he said it. I can't find it recorded in the Gospels, but evidently Jesus said at some point, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the Apostle Paul notes that in Acts chapter 20, that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And here's how I want to begin to bring it to a close. And we've got just a few minutes left. I did some research, and here's what I found. Did you know there are generational attitudes toward giving? There's a guy named Barna, George Barna. He started a whole company, and they research things in the church. And he did some very extensive research. It's interesting the time we live in. We've categorized different generations. For example, we have Gen Z. Uh, Gen Z, we have very few of them in our church. I pray in years to come that will change. Because years ago in my early days of ministry, we were what would be considered the Gen Z. There's a lot of young people. We were a lot of singles, only a few couples. And the couples that were there, we didn't have kids yet. We were all so young. It was 80 years ago. Okay, it was 30 years ago. Gen Z, they were born between 1955 and 2015. They are currently 5 to 25 years old. There's 75 million of them in the U.S. And then there's Gen Y. Gen Y, we also call them the millennials. Millennials were born between 1980 and 1994. And they are currently between 26 and 40 years old. And there's about 73 million of them in the United States, almost the same amount as the Gen Z. And then there's the Gen X. The Gen X, they were born between 1965 and 1979. And they are currently 41 to 55 years old. Now, watch what's going to happen. There are about 82 million of them. They are the majority right now in the U.S., the Gen X. And then there are the boomers. Now, did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's because it's happened in every service. Last service, it was just a kind of a mm, mumble, groan. But it was still a response. And you know, every person that responded right there, they're the boomers. That's the majority of our church. We're old. And then, and the boomers, the boomers now, born between 1944 and 1964, there's about 76 million of us. There's a lot of us in the U.S. Now, here's what Barna tells us from his research. Hang with me. Younger generations are almost five times more likely than boomers and the others older than boomers. You know what they're called? Elders. You know what young people call them? Old geezers or ADs. Almost dead. It is what it is. Younger generations are almost five times more likely than boomers and elders to say their recent financial giving experiences were spontaneous rather than plan. For example, roughly one-third of Gen Z, that's 35% of the population, and millennials, 32%, practicing Christians characterize their recent giving as completely spontaneous compared to only 7% of elders. The reverse was true for elders. About one-third, 34%, says their recent giving was purely planned. And then Barna tells us that Gen Z, who are increasingly concerned with financial and professional success, and millennials, many of whom are in the early stages of their career, are much less secure financially than elders and boomers, or even Gen X. Overall, nearly one-third of practicing Christians tells Barna they struggle with personal debt. 32% say their debt is either significant or huge. 
This proportion peaks among millennials, a generation marked by student loans and lower incomes, 40% of whom report that debt is a problem of at least some significance in their lives. But now listen to this as I finish this Barna statistic. Gen X is not far behind. One in four among boomers, 23%, and even elders say they're debt-free, but even among those, they say, many of them, that they still face financial pressure, and some have significant and also even huge financial challenges. But here's what saddens me, that with generations, attitudes toward giving would change. Most of the people I want to talk to as a pastor and as a teacher of the Bible, I don't have their ear. They're not watching online. There are people sitting there sipping their coffee, the boomers for the most part, and some elders, and maybe a few of the generation before. Most of us, by your response, (laughs) we're the older crowd. It is what it is. But for the younger people that are here, And for every generation I'm talking to, the Bible does not change, and God does not change. And if I can do whatever I can in the time I have left so that every generation has the privilege of experiencing the blessing of God, and part of the blessing of God comes through giving. That's his heart, for God so loved the world that he gave. And if you read the whole of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, talks about Jesus that though he was rich, that for your sakes he became poor. God's a giver, and you can't outgive God. And if we're going to be blessed the way God wants us to be blessed in life, you have to grab hold of this principle and this grace of giving. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, just as you excel in every other aspect of the Christian life, excel in this grace of giving because you can't outgive God. Now, we should give spontaneously as the Lord leads, but we should also give systematically. I say without apology. I say without. I'm excited to say this. Proverbs 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your increase. That's every dime of every dollar. That's every paycheck. You'd have nothing if it weren't for God. Nothing. I believe the foundational aspect of giving is found in what's called the first fruits, Proverbs 3, and in 2 Chronicles 31.5, the first fruits is referred to as 10%. It's called a tithe. If you've got Baptist heritage, you know about the tithe because they're going to preach on it a lot. And my Baptist heritage is they're going to preach on it sometimes and you feel like if you're not tithing, you're going to hell. God doesn't want to give, give by compulsion or by pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. And if you understand the principle of the tithe, How'd the tithe come about? Well, it came out before the giving of the law. So it wasn't law. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham gave a tithe of the spoils that God gave them with this victory over these wicked kings. And they come back with all this loot. And Abraham meets Melchizedek, has communion, bread and wine. Melchizedek is Christ. And he gives Christ, Melchizedek, one-tenth of all the spoils. And biblically, what became a pattern and a principle in the Bible before the law was that the tithe represented everything God had blessed you with. 
Genesis 28, I didn't include it, but Jacob says to God, if you'll be my God, you'll take care of me, I'll give you a tenth of all you give me. Because the tenth represented the whole. You want New Testament evidence? You go to Hebrews chapter 7, and the writer refers back to Abraham giving the tenth to Melchizedek, who is Christ, and it presents it there as an eternal principle. Not Old Testament or New Testament, not law versus grace, but a principle that says, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Put God first in everything. That's why when they came into the land of promise, the people of Israel were told by God, Jericho is the first stop. You don't take any of the riches of Jericho. That goes into my storehouse. Because the first fruits belong to God. And yet foolishly, a man named Achan and his whole family kept back part of the first fruits and it brought judgment upon them. New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, God moves them to sell a piece of land they didn't need, come and for kingdom causes, give it to the church. They kept back part of it and God judged them. Listen, God wants to bless us. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things, all these stuff you don't have to worry about. And the way God gives back in terms of the stuff is pressed down, shaken together, running over so that you can be generous on every occasion. The return, the return. God guarantees a generous return all throughout the Bible when you give for kingdom causes. Local church, missionary efforts, other ministries outside the church that do a good work for the kingdom. Every time you give, God promises a generous return. The return is to enable us to be generous on every occasion. And I love, I love the truth from so many scriptures. And I'm only giving you two on this one. But the return involves a heavenly bank account. Paul thanked the church of Philippi when they gave to support his missionary ministry. He said, I'm not looking for a gift, but thank you for it. I'm looking for fruit that may abound to your account in heaven. Let me read you. I know, you said, he said he's almost done. I'm almost done. Matthew, Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19. Listen to Jesus' words. Oh, man, this is so good. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what I love about giving to God's kingdom causes. There's no risk. You invest in the stock market, you may do well, you may tank. You invest in a company, it may be successful, it may not. You really don't know. It's a crapshoot. But with God, every single time, every single gift, never risky, always a return, guaranteed. And he put it in writing. He put it in writing. I have people come up after every service telling me stories. Yeah, I've said I was a single mom and it didn't make sense, but I honor the Lord. And I've never heard one person come and say, you liar. It's not true. God never did what he said he would do. Listen, you respond by faith. God will prove himself to be who he is and to do exactly what he said he would do. I like giving invitations. I like giving invitations for people to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And I like giving invitations to respond to God's Word. James says, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 60, 90 seconds. If you've never begun tithing, 
you're missing out. When I read one of Andy Stanley's book a little while ago, and he said at their church north of Atlanta, North Point, he tells the congregation as their pastor, he teaches tithing, but he says, if you don't have the faith for the tithe, start with a percentage, and as the, your faith grows, move it up toward a tithe. I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but I applaud Andy, and yet at the same time, I pastor a different church, another local congregation, and I say, just go for it. If you can't, start with a percentage, work your way up, but the principle is there. You start with the 10% and do it off the gross because that's what you earn, you cannot give God. Second, when God begins to give back, and a lot of us have experienced that, we know, we know the truth that when God gives back, he gives pressed down, shaken together, running over. Don't get selfish. Don't you get your priorities messed up. Don't all of a sudden, and look, I, I need these messages just like you do. Listen, God speaks to me before he speaks to you, and all of a sudden, all you're thinking about is a bigger boat. Don't get your priorities wrong. Keep the kingdom first. Because when he gives you the overflow, nothing wrong with buying a nicer car or bigger boat or whatever. If you can afford that and you're sensible about it, but always keep the, king, keep the kingdom causes, number one, and be generous. When he gives back, shaking together, pressed down, flowing, it's because he wants us to be generous. And then every Christian needs to, needs to experience at some point this third one, and that is giving sacrificially. And if you never have the opportunity to give sacrificially, you never have the privilege, the privilege of seeing God do a miracle. And that's what God loves doing. He loves taking the widows and saying, if you'll respond by faith, you watch what I'll do. I'll do something miraculous. And he'll do it every time, every time. God's not trying to trick us. He's trying to bless us, bless us, and use us to bless others. I was so excited as a pastor a few weeks ago when the COVID-19 hit and for us to be able to go online and say to our congregation, it's a little unusual, but at this time, if you're normally giving a tithe or you're regular giving to the Lord, and yet there's somebody in your life that has a need financially for this period of time, don't give to the Lord through the church. Give even your tithe. I've never done that before. It was such a wonderful thing to say. And then I get all these emails and all these people come back and say, you know, that was such a blessing and we were able to bless so-and-so. What pastor's ever told you to stop giving the tithe? No Baptist church would ever do that. And I can say that because that's my heritage. And you know what happened? You know what? Here's what happened. I'm telling you, I forgot to say this in the other two services. It just pops into my mind and it's causing me not to end on time. But listen, you have to hear. You have, listen, here's what God did. We never lacked. The offerings never went down, even though people were saying, people were saying, I'm not going to. People were, people were holding back from their regular giving during this time and helping people in their lives that had need. And I'm looking at the financial reports from the offerings, and I'm expecting things for a period of time to go down. They didn't go down. They actually went, oh, <laughs> only God can do that. And if you could have been here the day God was just pouring down $100 bills out of heaven into the office. No. no, no. Some of you were buying that. You were starting to go there. All right. So make a decision. Begin tithing. Be generous when God gives back. And then for some of us, even starting the tithe would be giving sacrificially because your budget doesn't allow it. Guess what? <laughs> you watch God. You can't outgive give God. 
Thanks for joining us today to study the books of the New Testament with Pastor Danny Hodges, right here on The Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings through the Bible by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well to stay up to date on the latest teachings and videos. Feel free to share them with your friends and family. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you in person. Join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. Find out more on our website. Once more, that's ccfstpete.church. As Pastor Danny continues this series, New Testament Highlights, be reminded that all these books provide a glimpse into God's heart for every person. His word is like a lighthouse, showing the way for lost ships at sea. Each person is a lost ship, floundering in the dark waters until they see that beam of light that directs them back to land. Throughout scripture, Jesus is that beam of light, lighting the path to safety. Tune in next time to hear more from Pastor Danny as he teaches in the New Testament right here on The Living Word.